If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Ah, welcome back to the One Voice Podcast. I just love this time together. We always have the most amazing guests and um, it's just fun to kind of bring up new topics and just encourage you all on your healing journey um, from sexual abuse. And today I have a really exciting guest with us. Her name is Kimberly Gleason. And Kimberly, you reached out to me years and years ago and we have just kept in touch through email and we have a mutual friend actually that was on the One Voice podcast a few years ago. And um, so we should definitely promote that one. But could you just maybe share a little bit about um, how you, I guess, found the podcast, found some of my work, and then a little bit of how, I guess, you related to the topics? Definitely. Well, thanks for having me first. Absolutely. But yeah, no. So my story really began, it actually began seven years ago today. Well, I guess it didn't begin, but it came out and the exposure of it was seven years ago today that um, my stepdad uh, had placed an ad on Craigslist um, and a detective had responded to that. And that was the first time I had been married at that time, I think for would have been nine years um, and had never told anybody um, that he had sexually abused me growing up. And so that was the first time that I finally came face to face with that um, and ended up, well, I told my husband first or whatever. And then I actually, an ironic twist, became friends with the detective and one of the law enforcement officers involved and helped them in that case against him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did actually end up committing suicide as a part of it as well. His was 24 days after arrest. But, and at some point I... I honestly don't remember who introduced me to Hush or how I found it. I just was really wanting something and a way to connect. And I found your book and read it. And I just, I loved it. It it just gave me that space to just to initially feel that connection of somebody that gets it. Mm. And I remember reading in it that there were actually parts that it stood out to me that they said some of the exact same things. Mm. the things that you shared that your stepdad said to you yeah, said to me as well. And it was uh, in the world. Man. Um, yeah. So. It's such, such a common theme. I think in many stories, whether, you know, we were abused by someone we knew or, you know, abused in adulthood or whatever it was that the grooming tactics are so similar. The words that are used to keep us silent, to make us think it's our fault. It's just such a common theme among so many survivors. I'm glad you related to the book. I'm glad it felt like a comfort to you um, at that time in your journey. Yeah, it definitely was. I, I, and I do, I remember feeling like, do these people have like a handbook that tells them like what to say and do or what? Cause it, it really did. It was, it was a weird experience to mm-hmm. read the words in the book and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. those myself as well. 
Yeah. And I don't know if it's the same for you. I know Mary and I have talked about this as we've talked about our healing journeys together. Um, but for, for me, it's always been very helpful to find that, oh, like, I hate that you also went through that. I hate that you heard this, but like, it's also, it's nice to know you're not alone in it. It, it helps you realize you're not crazy. <laughs> Um, that the person that hurt us, that hurt you, that hurt me, that hurt Mary, that they're the ones that were crazy. That was their fault. They chose to cause the harm. And, and it helps to stop second guessing ourselves as the victim. I always think too, um, in talking and meeting with other survivors as well, that when they're, you know, cause there'll, there'll be things that we might actually do or that we find about ourselves that a lot of the time we feel bad or we don't like but it's a result of what happened to us. And I think yeah. you can talk to another survivor and you experience that, that they, when you're kind of like, Oh wait, Oh, you do, you do that too. Like, Oh, okay. Cause then yeah. I think it almost like frees you a little bit. Like it gives you the insight to it's not something that you have to feel like is wrong with you or that it's a part of your character. And as a part yeah. of you, it's the result of what happened to you. That's that right. Experience is really freeing too. I think. I really agree with that. I've learned a lot about like the trauma response, right? And how so many of us, we really do, we carry the effects of abuse. And I know for a long time, I was always like, okay, is this who I am? Is this my personality? Or is this an effect of the trauma that I endured? And I've survived and I created these ways of functioning. And it does affect your personality in the way that you view the world, you view gender, you view, you know, yourself, you view all kinds of things. And so it's, it's interesting, this healing journey that it's, it is lifelong and it's constantly uncovering these pieces about who we are, but I think it's a really beautiful process too, especially when we have other survivors that we can glean from and we can watch their journey and relate and all that. That's why I've just loved so much these unleash groups that I've been running the for survivors of sexual abuse, this eight week course has been just so amazing to be able to, you know, see the light come on for so many of us. Like I am not alone in this and there's hope <laughs> and just finding community. So good. I'd love for you to even talk about just the work that you've done with survivors. Like not only is this your story and this is something you've been working um, through personally, but I just have loved um, learning about, how you have kind of found your voice and be, been willing to speak up um, even to lawmakers um, in your state. I'd love to hear that. I want to get to the topic um, of things you've worked with you call high-functioning, non-disclosing survivors. I think that's really cool. I want to get to that and just, you know, how you found your purpose. But could you first just share a little bit of this fight in you to um, deal with statutes of limitations? <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So that was just this past session. So this past spring, um, I'm, I'm on this advisory council for our department of corrections here in Iowa. And I don't know, I get sent like legislation things or, you know, it'll just be this meeting or that meeting. And to be quite honest, I don't know that I've ever even opened one before because mm. before this session, I'm like, yep, nope, mm -mm, not happening <laughs> politics. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And this past session, I don't know what it was, but a friend had sent me one and it was about a subcommittee meeting to remove the statute of limitations for child sex abuse. Mm -hmm. And I opened it and I just remember feeling well, yeah, of course, you know, and it was like, that was my life because mm -hmm. the way the law was here in Iowa at the time, 
Um, because again, like I said, he was arrested in 2014 and the law at that time was 18 plus 10. So you had 10 years to report following your 18th birthday. Mm. And then in 2019, it switched to 18 plus 15. So you had an additional five years. So then you could be, it went from being 28 to 33, which I think was one of the lowest, like youngest ages, like across the country or whatever, for people to be able to report, like that's not very long. Yeah. Uh, for somebody to to be able to come forward and report. And so it just really stood out to me, I think, because I'd had that experience Mm -hmm. of, I don't know. And that was something I shared is that when that statute of limitations, which I always refer to as like an arbitrary deadline, you have that, it basically, it tells you it doesn't matter anymore. Like that's right. It sure does matter anymore, Mm -hmm. um, which isn't a good feeling. And so when I got that, um, I don't know. When I opened that email, it was just one of those things that is like, if I could help someone else not go through that mm-hmm. and as survivors, I've always come to say, like, often we're willing to do for others, what we won't do for ourselves. And I don't know, just to help somebody else not go through that experience. Of course, why wouldn't I, you mm-hmm. know, nothing, nothing more can be done in my situation. I'm like I said, he took his life. Um, so right. I did, I, I talked with my friend that had done some legislation stuff before and, you know, I attended the meeting, um, Mm -hmm. it's just a zoom meeting, which that's my knowledge of politics. I thought it was like all the other 85 zoom meetings I had been on. (laughs) So, but, uh, I don't know. I just attended that. And I did have that moment where I sat back and it was like, Ooh, like when I typed up that first email to Mm -hmm. reach out to really share why I was getting involved, I felt that just that like kind of icky like ooh, this is vulnerable like mm-hmm. I don't want to do this you know you put something in writing and then it's concrete and people can share it and you can't take it back and here I'm about to send out this email to these people I don't know what they're going to do with it um yeah. so I did take a little like well not a little bit a couple hours and you know step back and thought through it but then sent that out and things just kind of went from there um <laughs> with connecting with I really connected with one of the senators um in particular and we worked on it a lot and it was a matter of getting, cause initially it was, they wanted both the criminal and civil statute of limitations removed, which, so it was a matter of getting in there and finding out, you know, like who's against it. Um, what are their arguments against it? Why, you know, why do people want it? Why do people not want it? And then just thinking through how to educate, mm-hmm. um, to help them better understand because I did find, I don't, I just kind of heard, I guess, little backstory too, is I've done a couple classes with survivors, but then I also started speaking at trainings for law enforcement, prosecutors, and victim services. Right. So it sort of just felt like speaking at those trainings, just educating people on what the experience actually is like. And so in talking with legislators, I found that it was very fear-based, if that makes sense, that, yeah. you know, there was well, yeah. this- thread of, well, how do I protect myself against false allegations 20 years later? And it was a matter of flipping that, um, because I should say we did end up, we did end up getting it passed for just the criminal. So we did the criminal statute of limitations, um, to remove it completely. Yeah. That's um, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that removed completely on the criminal side. But I think that that was, it was easier to speak to that part of it because when they would say, well, how do I protect myself or how do you defend yourself 20 years later? And it was like, well, that's actually the wrong question. The question is, how do you prosecute a case 20 years later? 
curating mm-hmm. evidence. You have victims mm-hmm. that may not want to participate in the process. You, you know, and then you also have safeguards where you have law enforcement that, you know, they have to be able to prove, you know, that they have a case and can take it forward. And then you have to find a prosecutor that's willing to prosecute the case. And then ultimately you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt in court 20 years later, you know, that it happened. And so really everything is working against the prosecution, not the defense. Yeah. And then we also had to speak through like traumatic memories because there was Mm. like false memories and things like that. And that was, that was kind of just explain it. Like traumatic memories are so drastically different than normal memories, you know, like they're, they're encoded differently. We experience them differently. We mm-hmm. call them differently, you know, I mean, all the, yeah. things, you know, but, and so it was a matter of explaining that and educating them on that as well to just, I think mm. to some of that fear away. And just quite frankly, it, it needed to happen, you know, like this is the way it needs to be. So. Yeah. In every state. Right. Right. Oh, it just feels like I, one, I just want to celebrate you and your courage and your voice. I mean, it takes so much to be able to stand in front of these authorities in your community, in your state, to be able to teach them, you know, this kind of rhetoric and understand like what trauma does and why it's all up against like the survivors in every, in protecting everybody else. Um, It takes a lot of courage. So I really want to commend you for that. I also want to say, like, I just don't you just hate how it's on our shoulders to not only heal from all of this stuff, but then also to teach other people how to handle our cases. Yes, definitely. It is. But I I think that that's why I don't I don't know. I always just come at it that it's like if you can if you can help somebody else not experience what we've experienced, like, why wouldn't we? Yeah, because it can be such an isolating thing and mm-hmm. make it so absolutely horrible. Yeah, I don't know. I just think if we can do that, we should. I agree. I agree. But it, it does take a lot of survivors to be willing to rise up and to be able to tell their story, you know, in a way that helps other people understand and step out of their own fear mm-hmm. Um and to look into the lives of other people who've been marginalized. Like that's such a big deal. I was going to say that is something, I guess I didn't really realize in hindsight until after the legislation had passed that I didn't realize. Cause I think I just kind of got in that go mode of, you know, once I stepped back, I was like, yep. Okay. I'm just going to do this is what we're going to yeah. do. You know? And-, and once you like start the wheel turning, it's yeah. like, Oh dear, we're out of control here. We're, we're moving. <laughs> Like some people are like, oh, yay, it's gotten further than it has before. And, you know, next session. And I was like, wait, time out next session. I am not doing this again. Like this is getting done now. <laughs> sign up to, you know, to. to right. Do right. So it was Which so- is what a victim feels when they have to take their perpetrator to court. Yes. Oh, I have to do that. I have to tell this. Like, wait, I have. He's going to be in here. Like, yeah. 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 So I just was like, yeah, no, we're not doing this again. Like we're all in this. Mm. We're doing this. And so, um, cause in fact, part of it was funny that it had already passed like the funnel deadlines that they have to where you can't pass things again. So then it was just more of a matter of, okay, well, well, how do we do this? Like, what do we need to do to do it? Yeah, but I did. I, I mean, if I'm completely honest that afterwards, I don't think I recognized how vulnerable and how emotionally taxing it was 
you know, to, you know, cause I just had that go mode of yeah. no, we're doing it. I'm not doing this again. This is getting done now. And I don't think I realized that, you know, like talking to people over and over and over and over. I mean, and just yeah, doing it. I, I don't think I realized that impact until afterwards when I, I kind of did just really feel depleted. Oh, I bet. I and bet. Just tired. Yeah. 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 I think it takes years off your life doing that kind of work, you know, it, it, but also to look at the fruit of it and look at how many other lives you have made a difference for that. They won't have to think about things that the way that we've always had to worry about things or feel like we've already been defeated before we even started, like that. We don't have a voice. We're not allowed to say this is wrong. Like you've changed that for generations to come you know you've been a part of that kind of change oh, well and that was one thing because it was honestly it was right before it passed that I realized that even a good personal friend of mine that's a survivor that hasn't reported or disclosed to hardly anyone it dawned on me and I called I was like how old are you mm. you know and they weren't 33 yet and they weren't going to be they were going to turn 33 later in the year uh-huh. so like to think of a personal friend that this statue, like removing it, she can report anytime she wants now. Mm. That was really interesting. I was like, whoa. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And then so, and I did actually, one of the police officers in the case with mine or whatever did reach out to me. I think it was about three weeks afterwards that they had somebody in there that was reporting. And even that it wasn't that they were reporting and that the statue affected their case. Mm-hmm. But it was just the the mother had read about the legislation and stuff like that, and and she showed it to her child or whatever, and then that gave them the courage to report mm-hmm. stuff like that. That makes it, I mean, you know that that just makes it like okay, like this is this is why we, do it. So. yeah, yeah, well, absolutely. And don't you just see there's so much value in acknowledging that the healing journey is lifelong and. Mm-hmm. We may not be ready to find our voice by 33. I mean, for most of us, we are just trying to survive. We don't know why the heck we do half the things we do until then we put the pieces together and realize, oh my gosh, that happened to me. And now, oh no, we're 34 and that person's still out there like grooming children or whatever. And now what do we do? Like that just doesn't even make sense. Right. And I think a lot of people that don't know, they think, oh, well, 33, well, that's old enough. I mean, I think they still have this idea that we run and tell immediately. It's like, yeah, no, we don't. Right. That's so scary to do. Like, I don't know. Cause somebody had told me too, like, well, if you don't want to do this, somebody else could work on it. I was like, right. Because a lot of people are just going to decide to think it sounds like a great idea to uproot everything and and share this with the world today. Exactly. Gosh, what would you say to someone listening? That's like, actually, Kimberly, I think you're amazing. You're my hero. I want to do that in my state. Where would you tell them to start? Oh man. Um, well, I'd be happy to talk through it with them. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just to like talk and, you know, like figure out our game plan or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I think first of all, you, you know, you want to look at the actual legislation 
and see, you know, I mean, there is an actual process to get things done. And that mm -hmm. was something coming into it. I, like I said, I wanted nothing to do with politics. And so it was a matter of learning politics and legislation and just the whole process mm -hmm. along with trying to do this. And so, you know, you want to look at who's actually on the bill and reach out to those people. And then like what committee they're on, because there's committees within the legislature or whatever. And so you want to talk to the people that is on the committee because the, the committee people will have more knowledge of it. Um, and then really, like I said, I really think it's helpful to dig in and find out who's against it. Mm. You know, like who, and you can actually look that right up online, like what groups are registered against the bill, which and with this stuff, like in our state, um, the church, um, insurance companies and defense attorneys, which defense attorneys, of course, are going to be um, the church doesn't want the lawsuits. And then um, insurance companies don't want the pay and the, you know, potential bankruptcy and stuff like that, that can come from paying out the claims, but just looking at that and figuring out who's against it. And like I said, digging in and figuring out, like just talking to the people, I just approached it from the sense of like having a conversation with them. Like, so what's yeah. going on with this? What, what, what are we thinking here? Like, why are we against it? Like, I don't understand this at all. Like what logic do you have that tells you that this shouldn't be? You yeah. Know, why wouldn't this be? And then just figure out how to go at it that way. Mm -hmm. But it is a lot of figuring out who you need to talk to, which is going to be your leadership, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really good advice. Well, and I know that prior to getting involved in this entire enormous project, like you had been working with survivors on your own for a number of years, just feeling compelled in your life that this was part of your purpose. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, how, I guess you start, got started with that, what you kind of felt led into? Um, yeah, it, it started, it was about, it was in 2016, I think. So about a year and a half later that I really just reached that point where it's like, okay, like this, I need to do something with this. I need to find purpose in this. Mm -hmm. A year and a half after after it was exposed in 2014, yeah. it was about, about a year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I just really felt like I need to do something with this. Yeah. And so I um, really started plugging it at our church, which, and just for clarity with that too, I didn't grow up with going to church or any um, religious upbringing or anything like that, but I actually mm -hmm. found the relationship through this process. Mm -hmm. So that's where I just started at our church then. And, um, I ended up, one of the first things was I ended up getting connected with, there was a, a young girl that, um, the youth pastor knew, and he had known my story as well. And so he connected us. And so she and I really, I mean, we're, we're still friends now. And I think it's probably been about three and a half years, four years that, um, we just kind of have walked through things or whatever and just been really just walked through everything that happened, you know, mm -hmm. through the court process, which it, mm -hmm. it ended with a plea deal or whatever, but did that. And then I don't know, the church would reach out and ask me to talk to other people just to have that point of connection or whatever. And I, and I ultimately reached a point that I was frustrated that there weren't services in a church that large mm -hmm. for survivors. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I ended up getting mad. Uh, things, things tend to happen when I get mad. Cause it's like, fine, I'll just do it. Good. 
<laughs> more of that energy. You have to yes. Bad. Yeah. And so I just was like, I'll just do a class, you know, like I just need a class. I'll just create this class to like kind of disperse the information. Yeah. And so I did and had no clue what we were going to do on week two. So, um, <laughs> and just, um, but it, it was fun. And, uh, but it it was kind of different in the sense of ultimately, I just kind of emulated different experiences that I had had. Um, Mm. so like in the first class it, um, I had a detective and a prosecutor and an advocate that I had known and had them come in and we literally just talked and asked questions and had that, you know, non-threatening environment to ask the questions and, um, just understand all the process. Cause I, I found like, there are things that I can say as a survivor to someone else and it's worth its weight in gold. But then there are other things that if somebody hears a detective say it, you know, that nope, like that, that's a felony. Like that's mm-hmm. not, you know, like sometimes if you have the right person saying it, that carries its weight in gold. And I could have said it a hundred times and it wouldn't have stuck. That's so true. Yeah. So we did that. Um, and then just different things. Um, I had a friend came and talked about the neurobiology of trauma or whatever in class. And, you know, so she presented on that. And then that was the, our yeah. friend, Ashley, that was on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. So Ashley came to class and then um, we talked about, cause before class, we kind of got in our minds the things that we would want to change or like the things that we kind of beat ourselves up for. Mm-hmm about our trauma or, Oh, I didn't, I didn't scream. I didn't fight back. I went back, you know, like all those kind of things. And then actually came and presented on the neurobiology of trauma. And mm-hmm. then you go back and kind of reframe it. And it, I mean, it happened with us anyway, that it's like, Oh, okay. So I did, my body did exactly what it's supposed to, you know, yeah. that understanding of, of how it actually works or whatever. Just a quick plug. Unleashed begins next week. It is a survivor e-course and support group. There's videos, there's journal prompts. Um, We meet weekly for one hour. It's a very small group. It's a safe setting. We just have finished a few of these groups. They've been some of the most meaningful experiences of my entire healing journey. And I would just love to invite more of you to join us. We currently have three spots left. There are groups. You can find all the information on our website at imonevoice.org slash unleash, or just click the unleash banner. And you'll find the times and the dates that we're holding them. One group's led by Mary and I, and that would be a really fun group to join because we like to laugh and we're also deep people. So you'll find a safe place wherever you can sign up, but please check it out. Again, there's only three spots left. We'd love to fill those up before Tuesday and actually we'll probably close registration on Sunday night. So please sign up soon. I am onevoice.org. I actually just got a Facebook message two days ago from someone that had just listened to that podcast. I mean, that podcast we did with Ashley on the neurobiology of trauma, that was probably like three years ago. Yeah. And she had, someone had just listened to just that one. And she was like, this was the most freeing thing I've ever heard about abuse. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my gosh, I love how, you know what? I'm going to post that on our Facebook page. Um, after this podcast comes out, I'm going to, I'm going to repost that one because I think it'll be really good to dovetail that with this one, Kimberly. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I know. Cause I just think it's, you know, cause we beat ourselves up that we didn't do this or we didn't do that. And then 
again, when we learn that, oh, well, it wasn't my, I think it just helps like release some of that. It's my fault or I should have done this and stuff. And, yeah. And that there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Like, yes. no, actually I'm right. <laughs> like I did yeah. what I was made to do. Right. It just right. wasn't supposed to happen yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really good. Talk to us about the high-functioning, non-disclosing survivors. This is a term that you brought up to me, I don't know, earlier this year, I think. And I thought, oh my gosh, aren't we all? We're all so high-functioning and many of us have never disclosed. Yes. So it took me some time to come up with the right wording of like, what, you know, like what, what, how do I describe this or whatever? And I think the diff, actually it was from class, you know, that I learned that because people are at different stages of their healing journey, you know, and it's nothing against anybody, any stage, but I had just found that I typically tend to attract the people that have never disclosed to anyone, you know, or it might be myself and their spouse, you know, and that's just what, I don't know, like people tell me, which is honestly one of the things that I have really enjoyed with doing the trainings, um, with the group of professionals that work with victims, because it gives them that space that they can actually admit that it happened to them and share and kind of release that. But that I'm not telling anybody, you know, um, I always joke with people. I'm like, Hey, at least I can keep a secret. So which is wrong, but it's like, I'm not telling anybody. And so, right. you know, so they'll like learn. I've learned, I learned how to keep a right. secret, unfortunately, yeah. but in this situation, it'll, it'll serve you. Right. But so, yeah, so it just took, um, you know, cause literally like some of the people, and I have asked everybody that I always mention, but some of the survivors that I've, you know, that have disclosed, I mean, there's mayors, CEOs, um, division one athletes, um, I don't know, filmmakers. I mean, it's to all of these just crazy. Um, one of my favorites is it's an Iraqi, uh, combat vet. just, I mean, he's just a dude's dude, you know, I mean, yeah. And then it's just people that nobody would ever have a clue what they're carrying. Mm. And it's always, it, it, it's kind of overwhelming a little bit when they do share their story and trust you with that. Um, yeah. That's kind of where it's come from is, but they're also non-disclosing. So, but some of the things that I've come to learn about this group and the reason I think it's important is like in trainings in particular, I, I will get into, Hey, like, as this kind of survivor or this victim, we're not going to fit in your box of what you think a victim is going to look like. You know, we're we're just, we're not going to Yeah. behavior and the behavior that you think is somebody being combative or not paying attention and looks like they have ADD. Yeah. That's survival. You know, like that, that's, they're not being disrespectful. They're not being non-cooperative or whatever I think is the word that drives me crazy. Um, no, that that's, survival that's their trauma response or whatever but so some of it like and for me one of the things that was important to know is well why didn't you tell why didn't you tell anybody all these years and it took time for me to realize that I think probably the most honest answer is because for me to tell someone else would mean that I have to first admit it to myself Hmm. and that wasn't something that I was willing to do because that kind of thing when you bring that into your awareness you can't forget it or you can't get rid of it again and so you know, it's just, you have to be willing to tell yourself. And a lot of people don't want to do that because we're afraid of what happens afterwards. And, um, I don't like saying this about myself, but 
somebody pointed out that they think that the reason people disclose to me at trainings and things like that is it's this idea that being a successful person is mutually exclusive from having been a victim of child sex abuse, that you can't be both, mm. and, you know, and that you're somehow this crumbled, broken person. And that's just not true. You know, that's and right. a lot of us are a lot stronger from it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But one yeah. of the things too, that I have found, um, with this group in particular is I always say that we're really good. And this is kind of where that high achieving part of it came from. We are really good at doing, but we are horrible at being. Oh yeah. I mean, like there, like there's a gal that I know, I mean, working three jobs in school, volunteering, you know, cause we can go, go, go. And then yeah. society rewards that because you're mm-hmm. successful, you know, right. busy and whatnot. But in reality, and some of that stuff is good, right? And we're plugging into, into quote, healthy things and doing mm. great things and achieving all of these wonderful things. Mm. But if we don't recognize that it's in an essence to avoid having to stop and feel or think or be with ourselves, that that maybe isn't quite such a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. do all those things, but I do think we need to create that space that we can work on just being. Um, but but that's scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I had found with that is the fine face is what I I always called like with the girls in class. And it's like, I know, I know you're all fine. You're fine. But like, this is a space that you can leave your fine face at the door (laughs) (laughs) and take your fine face off and you can be real and just feel, and you can pick it up on the way out and no one has to know that anything's wrong with you. You can be just fine. Yes. Gosh, we need those places to take our masks off and just be really real for a minute. Yeah. And not not have the expectations on us that we're going to keep doing all the stuff that we're doing on the outside world, but like just be, I think when we're able as survivors, especially the high functioning ones to have that space where you can just sit, breathe, you are actually with your thoughts and feelings. Like at first it's really, really uncomfortable. And in fact, it doesn't feel worth it, but I would just say that if you're willing to sit through it, it's a practice Mm -hmm. and you'll find on the other side, if you can sit through the hard part, Mm -hmm. it is, it is so freeing and it's so fulfilling and it's healing in its own way without any even words or therapy, like just being able to sit with yourself is therapy in itself. I think. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I really, with this group that stood out to me is, and I, I have a slide that I use is it literally, you know, it has cognitive and then a line and emotions under it in that I have found that a lot of these survivors, they're very cognitive thinkers, deep thinkers process things. Um, and we tend to think our way through things. And my counselor actually had told me that at one point that he used the term intellectualizing. I will tend to think about things and kind of spin on it and think about it until I can make sense of it. And then I'm okay. You know, like I just, I have to make sense of something cognitively to try to understand it. But something that I found that was interesting with, um, this was in class, there was some, I, I was speaking with one of the advocates, you know, cause I always would talk with them and, and whatnot, just to make sure that we were all on the same page and that things were okay. And they had made a comment to me like, well, be careful that they're not thinking too much or something that they're feeling. And to me, I was like, what? 
like they're not going to feel until they understand it, you know, like, because I think that in this space, when we rely on our cognition and, and that's how we survive, you know, we don't feel because if you show your feelings, somebody will use that against you. Mm. Your perpetrator to know how you feel, you know, like we learn to completely guard our emotions and rely on our cognition and think our way through. Yeah. Yeah. As survivors, sometimes we have to, and I found that myself too, that like, you have to have this like thinking through it because otherwise I'm not going to let myself feel it. Like, right. Too vulnerable. Right. And Mm -hmm. if I feel it, how am I going to stop? Like, I don't know what to do with those feelings because I blocked feelings for so long. Like feelings are scary Yeah, feelings, you know, and I'm just coming to this place in life where I didn't want feelings for so long. Why, why do I want feelings? You know? Yeah. Um, it's a setup, right? It's what, yeah. what you feel. You're, you're afraid that by allowing yourself to feel, you're going to be vulnerable to being hurt again. Yep. Yeah. So just don't feel. Mm. Yeah. But so but it, to walk through that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think the journey for me has been once I was able to finally feel, I realized, oh, like shutting down the negative feelings, yeah. shut down all the positive ones too. Yes. And then once I was able to feel and really grieve and like hurt and like feel all the like low ones, the higher ones, the joy in my life was more accessible too. Uh-huh. It's really interesting because it's almost like it's the same river. And when you're, when you're like building up a dam for, for the ones you don't want to feel that are bad, you're also building up the dam for the good ones too. It's like yeah. oh, so freeing when you're able to just allow the feelings to come, to sit with them, know you're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm still, I'm probably just at a point maybe, which is kind of crazy to think that I'm just like, oh, Okay. I probably should work on that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But one of the other things that I do think that this could be helpful with, um, with survivors with this is I found that process, I kind of say it as processing it in layers Mm -hmm. because this is really what I did with, um, the law enforcement officer Mm -hmm. that I had talked with is that initially we talked about things at like a societal crime level, you know, like about sex abuse in general. What do these perpetrators do in general? Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that. And I understood that about how they do things, you know, how they do what they do, what they look like as far as their strategies and tactics or whatever. But mm-hmm. it was safe because it was removed from me. Yeah. And then um, actually one of the police officers, when I called him, I was like, can I ask you a question without really asking you a question? <laughs> he was like, yeah, sure. We call that hypothetically speaking. I'm like, <laughs> And so, so then I was able to, okay, so let's say that I have a friend. (laughs) So then talk about it at that level, you know, still it's not me. It's, it's not me. It's this, this elusive friend. Yes. And then, and then you can come to the point that you talk about like, oh yeah, you remember that hypothetical? Yeah, that was me. Shock, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but just having that space to kind of process it mm-hmm. at your own speed, I think, I think that that can kind of help survivors a little bit to understand, because I think even understanding it at a societal level and just, for me, it was super helpful to understand what these um, perpetrators do in general. Yeah. It kind of helped me not feel like all of the negative things that you tell, you know, that I'm stupid and that, you know, just all, and it's my fault and just all of those things, like learning 
that, oh, like these guys were, or like hearing in your book, you know, that, oh gosh, these guys say the same things. Yeah. How is this possible? Right. That yeah. Was part of, I don't know, just distancing, I guess, and processing it at my own pace. Yeah. I do think that there's such a connection between our brains and our hearts. Like as far as like, we sometimes have to think our way into our feelings, you know, like we have to learn, we have to educate ourselves on all of this stuff in order to access, Mm -hmm. is it access? It's access. Excuse me. I'm like, that didn't sound right. No, in order to, you know, access actually how we feel about the thing, because like in my brain, it was like, well, like I, you know, I, I could think my way through the fact that it was my fault, mm-hmm. but I, I shouldn't have gone there. And like, or he, you know, he was a really um, respected man. Everyone trusted him. So like, it was my fault. But then when you, you're able to learn the flip side of, of okay, this is how they groom. This is oftentimes what the perpetrator does look like. Um, you know, this is the things they say to make you believe. And even if they say that, it doesn't mean it's true. And like, okay, so then I'm starting to create a new picture for myself because I'm educating myself and my thinking and now I can access the fact that, okay, yeah, this really was sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can identify as a survivor, even though for years I said I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that also brings up another point with this is um, one of the things that I realized, like, I really love grooming. And so that's what sometimes I'll train specifically just on grooming. Yeah. Through, well, and I actually will use some of the specific things, you know, that yeah. happened in my case. Or whatever. Um, you love teaching on grooming. Teaching on grooming. <laughs> yes. <right>? Okay. <laughs> Clarify that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Got it. Okay. To detect that. And also too, why it works. Because then that's what, I just think that that, like, if somebody can understand, because I think people have this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, it wouldn't, that would never happen to me. That would never happen to my kids. Or um, Mm -hmm. people have this thought that you're going to run home and tell mom and dad or call the police. No, you're not. You know, that's what, when I walk through the actual process of different things that, you know, and and use slides and stuff that, you know, that my stepdad actually did, they can kind of see how slippery of a slope it is. And no, no, you're not going to, and just understanding, but then also understanding what grooming does, because I think, I personally think grooming is one of the most damaging aspects of it because I I think the things that the people do to lure you in and cause they're using something good with a bad intent. And so it's, it's the things that they're doing to make you think that they're loving you or they're using it to trick you. But those are the things that stick in your mind. Yeah. And that's where I think um, I would, I refer to it as like the evil lies that it creates the evil lies that you tell yourself. And mm-hmm. um, for me, I think one of the most damaging ones is that unconditional love doesn't exist because when it's apparent in those roles, I, I mean, you know, cause you, you, you would expect this unconditional love from your parents or whatever, but you learn it doesn't exist because, oh yeah, if I don't do this, they won't love me or I have to do this to get them to love me. And you create this cause and effect and really this life of expectations almost. And so when you set that up, that there's this exchange, this give and take and cause and effect, oh, I have to do this to get this or when they do this, this means that, and you literally learn to live off protect, predicting, excuse me, things, it sets your mind up that way. But then mm-hmm. how I have seen that play out for adults, um, whether it's dating or in marriage, then is like one example is flirting 
or, you know, other initial acts or whatever, sexual acts or whatever can be difficult if you've experienced this, because you learn, you know, it's kind of like, if I, I kind of use the thing, like if your husband comes up and maybe kisses you or certain, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah, you want sex. I know. You know what I mean? Like, cause you've mm-hmm. learned to predict that this behavior means this. And so it, it plays out and it's so difficult later mm-hmm. because you just think that everything means something else. And so it's kind of unraveling those things later mm-hmm. that I have found are really challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is very challenging. There's so many connections that our our brains have made with certain things or then the triggers on top of it. And it's a constant unraveling of Mm -hmm. toxic messaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Why therapy is so important. Where would we be without therapy? Mm. I don't know. No, (laughs) I hate to think of it. Well, I would love to wrap up with you kind of sharing a little bit about meaning making. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, meaning, I think that part is so important because like, I just have, I've come to find like, if you can find meaning in what happened to you and, and not that everybody has to, you know, do these grand big things, because I think even just having small conversations with other people. Bring yes, it like, absolutely. And I mean, and I really say it because after the legislation passed, I was really at that point where it was like, whoa, like, I don't know if I realized what it had done, but then as soon Mm -hmm. as I, you know, find that it's helping somebody else, it's like, yep, would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. And And I even wonder if it meant something to you. You know, I think there's a piece where a lot of us were looking to how is this going to affect other people? Like, how can I really, how can this mean something for someone else? But in the end, like sometimes it means something to the little one within us. It's sending a message to the little Kimberly within you that like this trauma was really valid, no matter how old you were. Mm-hmm. And I'm fighting for you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, it was really interesting actually, now that you say that, because when I wrote and it was, the whole thing was very interesting because when I wrote that initial letter, I wrote the letter and yeah. I'm, I don't even know if I sent it. And then I stepped back and recognized, Oh wait, I felt that way. And I remember even telling my husband that he's like, well, yeah, you wrote it. You know what I mean? Like I thought, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't, it was a disconnect for me that mm-hmm. I you know, because here I am, I think I'm explaining how somebody feels again, that level removed, that this is how it makes a victim feels when this happens. And I didn't realize that I had actually felt those things, that it didn't matter anymore, that I waited too long. Mm-hmm. And so there probably is an element of that. Yeah. With, with the meaning making, I do think that there are things that you can do you know, to help you figure out like, if you want, cause sometimes like even the girls in class would be like, they want to do something with it. Well, what do I want to do? You know, well, not everybody has to do the same thing. You know, it might be that you want to work with youth or work in a youth program, or um, maybe you want to start a class or, you know, I think everybody can plug in in different ways. So I just, um, I, I take the time to step back and figure out what you really enjoy doing, mm-hmm. um, what you're good at. I think. And that's where I literally at a different point in time had messaged people that I had worked with in different capacities. And we looked at like what the actual skill sets that you have are. Yeah. And then also what you enjoy. Um, 
but just stepping back and figuring out what you can do to plug in with that. Um, and there, there's a couple of songs, I don't know why, but songs always speak to me, but, um, like one of the songs was it's do something by Matthew West mm-hmm. and the point in it. I love that song, but there's a point in it where he actually like chuckles and it's like, well, I created you. Cause it like the, the person in the song is like crying out to God about all these problems in the world where we'll do something about it. Mm. And then West kind of chuckles and, and it's God responding. Like I did, I created you, you know, to like, you go do it. Like, yeah. And I know in everything that I've done, I've always come at it and been like, well, who am I? Like, who am I to do this? I'm just me. I, that's kind of what I say. Like, I'm just me. Like, yeah, I'm just me. And yeah have that sense of how do you make an impact, but mm-hmm. if you don't do it, who is going to do it, you know, and recognizing that you may actually like, it may be for you to do, you know, that you may have a skill set or you may be able to speak in, in a way that those people can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't do it. Well then who, who will do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so that song kind of helps me think in like a big picture, like big picture, like what would I do if I could, yeah. you know, solve the world problems, what would I do? But then there's another one called dream small by Josh Wilson. And that one is, um, you know, it's talking about, it's something like tucking your kids in at night, or it's like all of these like very small things that we can do in life. And that song kind of helped me think about recognizing you know, having a conversation with another survivor here, or, you know, saying something to a student that you might know, you know, it's just those little small impacts that you think mean nothing, but they mm-hmm. actually may mean everything. To well, it's that not person. always about the mountaintop moments. Correct. It's not yes. always just, you can't no. hover in that place. Cause it's not, yes. it's not reality. Right. <laughs> you got to come down to the mundane. Yeah. So yeah. 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 And it's those little moments that I think will get you through. I mm-hmm. mean, because your, your big thing, it's going to take time to do it and accomplish it. And so if you can enjoy those small moments along the way, then, you know, then that helps. And then the third song is Scars it, by I Am They, where it talks about that. It talks actually just about that, about finding the meaning in the things that have happened to you and recognizing, again, not that it was good that it happened to you mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's just really finding meaning in the things that happened and using them to help other people and finding the significance in your life and maybe where, where you have grown from things that happened and you didn't recognize it. But mm-hmm. I just think that that's kind of the ultimate, like if you can find a way to, to plug in and, and use what's happened to you to help somebody else, it just, I don't know. There's just something about it because it's like, if you can take the pain from somebody else even just for a minute that they might feel better. I always just feel like, why wouldn't I? I mean, I don't know. Well, and even going back to what you said about the song that says, you know, I made you and you thinking, well, who am I though, to be able to do something and think I can dream like this. You can combat that with the, the whole concept of, well, why not me? Yeah. I have a very limited time on this earth. It's a little blip on the radar and I want to make it matter. And I would rather risk failure than not do the thing that's going to benefit someone else because there's Mm -hmm. no losing in that. You just try the next Avenue. So, yeah. So I just think, why not me? So that was a tough one to overcome though, because I just, and I was like, I don't know if it's insecurities or what, Mm -hmm. but, um, or lack of confidence, but it was always just like, well, I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? I think the first group of kids I talked to was like 300 high school kids. 
And I, when I heard that people actually like talking to large groups of people and think it sounds like a good idea, I was like, what? Like people think this is a good idea. I think it's horrible. (laughs) But when you hear that it impacts them or like it speaks to them, even just one, it's like, okay, yep. Yep. Just one. And that was, but it's just, yeah, it's kind of pushing past the things you think you can't do. And then when you find out it helps somebody else, it's like, okay. Well, we all know that the, the amazing stuff happens like right outside of that comfort zone. And it's so corny and cheesy, but we've yes. all lived a little experience on some level with being uncomfortable and then stepping yes. back and going, how did I do that? How did that happen? And then it gives you courage right. the next time. So, yep. yeah, I love it. And I mean, I definitely hear you on these songs, but for me, it's more like, Tupac keep your head up like (laughs) those are the kinds of things that are going to keep me moving I'm going to be woke and aware and look out for people around me and not let the world bring me down so to each their own (laughs) thank you Kimberly this was wonderful I'm so grateful that we've connected all these years and just know that you have a couple of cheerleaders from Ohio cheering for you and all the great things that God places before you. And we're just so confident that your story will just continue to be used to um, help others get out. And I'm just really grateful to call you our friend. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for today's podcast. And Mary has something to say. I do. Kimberly, do you want to share, add, where people can connect with you, where people can find out more about you, all those details. If you feel <laughs> really, red or comfortable. I don't really have like a specific, um, I mean, I can watch comments on here or whatever. I do have an email. It's um, Kimberly at journeyoftruth.life. That's an email that I have set up specifically. So basically, so things don't get lost in junk because mm-hmm. otherwise it gets filtered out. But I always will respond to things on there. But yeah, not like I said, I'm just me. Like I don't have like an organization or anything like that, but I'm just me. (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you, Kimberly. You're a rock star. Until next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.